Habakkuk chapter 3. We've been going through the book of Habakkuk on Sunday mornings. We come to chapter, or I guess we could say part 5 um, this morning. And uh, But before we do that, I've got something to uh, talk about with you that, that's never happened at Rocky Mount Baptist Church before. If you've got your worship guide, you should notice one of these or something that looks like it. It's an Experience Easter 2015 flyer. And... Um, we're going to have a tweak in Easter at Rocky Mount Baptist, uh, 2015. Now, anytime you mention that in a Baptist church, um, that has to do with change. And uh, usually the last seven words of an organization is we've never done it that way before. Or church. Um, we praise the Lord that over, I guess, these this past year or more, He has consistently brought us the most precious thing. That a church could ever have, and that is people. And we just want to say, whether you're a long-time Rocky Mount Baptist Church friend, or whether you're new to this whole church thing, and by this time in this worship celebration, you are already weirded out. Alright? We are so excited that God and His sovereignty has brought all of us together. We're so glad that He's brought you here. I mean that. I mean that. Amen. Um, since we have ended the, the hundred years winter called the winter in southwest Virginia and the ice storms have gone uh, the way of the buffalo, we've had, God has brought people here so we've been averaging. We, we don't want to be a numbers driven, numbers talking about church, but we know behind every number there is a person and Jesus died for people. But as far as space and facilities go, um, we've been on the average this month of being within 40 or 50 people of what um, you would call the 80% maximum capacity rule. There are some cultures that it's totally okay to be up in somebody's armpit, all in their BO, not in the U.S. It's just a cultural thing. If you've never, if you've never traveled abroad, you've never interacted with cultures, there are some cultures, guys, you will have, you'll be surrounded by two large men who don't believe um, and maybe your level of, uh, of personal cleanliness and it's totally fine. Rubbing elbows, rubbing shoulders. It, that's just the way it is. In American culture, we've seen across the board with churches, doesn't, I mean, any type of thing. When there's a, a group meeting in a building, usually once it gets to 80% maximum capacity, it doesn't grow much further beyond that. And what we're praying for this Easter is that God would give us a special harvest to do even more than what we've already done in this sense, to bring our friends who are unchurched to church on Easter, to bring our families who are unchurched to church on Easter, to use this high time of Christian celebration to bring people here so they can hear. The choir's been doing overtime work. The band's got some special stuff to bring. Powerful, powerful worship music. Hopefully the sermon won't be a bomb and go over like a lead balloon. But if you can pray for the preacher, we should be okay. But here's here's the issue that we face. If we have our regular Sunday morning worship time, and most of our Rocky Mount Baptist Church people show up and bring friends... We could have an issue of space very, 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 very quickly. And the last thing that we want to say to people who need a church home is that we're full, go somewhere else. Right? And so here's what we're going to do. On Easter, we're going to have a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service. 
right, one amen, everybody. Some people nodding, some people, <laughs> you know. Thank you, Angela. We've never talked to people who have who've been here um, for a while. They're not not since 1879 when the church was founded. We had talked to some people who've been here for a while. And uh, in the history of the church, what we can remember, there's never been two Sunday morning services. And we praise God that that's even an issue. Amen. And so here's what we're going to do. That day, there's going to be no Sunday school. We're going to put all of our energy, all of our prayer to getting as many people to come to hear a clear gospel presentation. Okay? And so we've got these there in your worship guide to hand out. We've got more of those right here, more of those out there on that stand. And if you need more, we'll have them by this next Sunday. Let's do as much as we can to make much of Easter. Now, it could be awkward if all y'all show up at the 930 service. But guess what? If we never try and we're afraid of something being awkward or afraid of not, you know, usually what that is, is that we're trying to control it. Right? And we can't, this is a leadership principle, it's very biblical, you can't control something and it grow at the same time. That's the wall that a lot of churches hit, a lot of church leaders. There's a lot of times people within the church that have not shared the gospel ever, but they want to say how it should be done. And we still, how many people have you, have you led to Christ? Are you faithful in sharing the Bible? And they say, well, I don't do that. And then we go on to someone else who does follow what Jesus says for, uh, for advice. That makes sense? And so a lot of churches are held back um, by fear. And the Bible says over 200 times thou shalt not fear. So let's have fun with this. Can we do this for the glory of God? Let's have fun with Easter. Let's invite people. And uh, I want to give you a statistic that was uh, done by uh, Gallup poll uh, last year. Actually, no, this is 2015. It's actually 2015 Gallup poll. 41% of Virginians never attend church. Hold on. 41% of Virginians never attend church. Now, unless you have friends that only come here, and that is a sad, sad commentary. We want to get through this text this morning, but a few years ago, there was a big move called friendship evangelism. And what it said is that we should, we should get friends to evangelize. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and we don't have friends, the first order to getting friends is repenting for being selfish. Because if we love Christ, then we love people. If we love people, we get out of our comfort zone and we get friends. We minister to their life and we reach out to them. Right? Okay, so 41% of Virginians never attend church, 35% attend weekly, and 22% attend nearly every, nearly, uh, other, every other week or monthly. And we know in Franklin County, some, that some people mistakenly think is the Bible Belt. It's not. But in Franklin County, there's over 30,000 people, check this out, that don't even attend church. That's not talking about all the people who come on a weekly basis but have never truly had a heart change. So what we want to look at this morning is to ask God to change our hearts in relation to the people that we interact with, our neighbors and our friends. Can we do that? 
Because I think it's very easy for y'all when we start coming to church, we, we get friends, right? We start hanging out with people and slowly but surely if we're not careful, what happens is we spend all of our time with people who hopefully have given their life to Jesus, but we forget to reach on the other side of the boat to those who are still drowning. And Easter is the most non, that and Christmas, the most non-awkward time. It's the greatest springboard to get people to come hear the gospel. You say, well, Jeff, shouldn't we share the gospel outside of church? Absolutely. And if we don't, it's a heart issue and we need to repent. But here is the reason why I think that bringing your friends to church is so important. I have in my hand an iPhone. If you have a cell phone, you know that these things never stop. And when you're trying to share the gospel, we should share the gospel every chance we get. But it has happened so many times. Whether it's a Dairy Queen or somebody's house, the phone keeps blowing up and there's something called interruptions. If it happens in church, you can just look at them, they feel guilty, and they shut it off and keep listening to the gospel. As opposed to the interruption that happens when we share it sometimes outside of church. And a text message or call takes priority. Alright? So, let's just do this for the glory of God and uh, try to reach our county for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's just try this for, for the glory of Jesus. So what we want to do is begin to make a list on, you can make it on your smartphone, that's alright. Or, or, or on your, on your, you know, if, if you're old school and you've got the little black book, you can do that. Put it on your refrigerator and your car. Let's start making a list of people that we know that need to be here with us on Easter Sunday to hear about the life-saving, soul-saving message of, of Jesus Christ. So here's a, the, the, the bottom line is that this is going to be an all-hands-on-deck uh, event and we need your help. So if you are a greeter, an usher, or a section leader, right after the service, we're going to meet for a meeting in my office around the corner and try to develop a game plan so that we can uh, we can reach out to these people who are going to come here. All right, we good? All right, let's go to back at chapter three and uh, let's begin to read there in verse number one. The Bible says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to. Here's a strange word that's been transliterated into English, Shigianagoth. That is a, that is a musical term. So what we're gonna look at this morning, imagine what we read is being put to music. Flip to the end of chapter 3 in Habakkuk and you'll see at the end of verse 19, and it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So what we're going to see this morning is something that was originally written as a song for people to sing in the time of worship when they hit desperate, desperate, difficult times. And here's the driving thought we're going to try to hammer home this morning from Habakkuk chapter 3. And it's very simply that when you and I walk through times of desperation, extremely difficult times that we don't think that we asked for or deserved, that we, according to the Bible, let God help us to preach His Word to ourselves in times of desperation. Because what will happen is when things hit the fan, there's going to be the tendency to think that God has forgotten us or that we are being punished for something that the Gospel has said God has already taken care of. And if we preach God's word to us, to ourselves, it's going to help us from getting into that cycle of depression and discouragement. And so, sometimes people say, well, Jeff, I've got great family and friends. And if you do, you are a blessed person. 
If you've got people that you can call and you can text and you can visit with, that you can just pour out your heart to, that is an amazing gift from God. But here's the catch. You're not going to be around any other person as much as you're around yourself. Somebody's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So what can easily happen is we can begin to rely upon a blessing instead of our relationship with God and God alone. Because there could be a time to where those people that we rely so heavily upon are not there. For many reasons. So like we looked at a couple of weeks ago when the psalmist in Psalm 42 said, My soul, why are you so downcast within me? There are some times that you almost have to counsel yourself. So we look at chapter 3 and in verse 2, the Bible reads, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So here's some truths to speak to ourselves when we encounter difficult, depressing, producing times. Notice that he, he begins there. This is Habakkuk in verse 2 with talking to God. Now, if we go back to understand what Habakkuk went through, he was living in a time to where war was just incredible. To where the Babylonians had taken over the Assyrians who had controlled the Near East for several hundred years. And then they were coming against Jerusalem. And we've given this military metaphor many times, but it's hard as Americans to understand it. Because we've got the military. We've got the Marines. We have the SEALs. We have the Air Force. We have Predator drones. We have the Second Amendment. We have all sorts of ways that we have checks and safeguards to make sure that we are not dominated by, I guess, our own government or a foreign government. But imagine if all of that was stripped away. It's even hard to imagine life like that. And you're on the walls of Jerusalem and you've got the few remaining survivors of the Jewish state and you're looking out and you see the Babylonians. They are the baddest warriors of the time. The Bible even says in Habakkuk chapter 1 that their God is their own strength. These are guys who were top-notch warriors of the day, had killed everybody in the who's who of killers in the ancient Near East. And now you're looking out saying, God, have you forgotten your people? It's hard for us to understand. But here he is saying, God, I know that you're bringing this nation against the nation of Israel to punish us for leaving you. And so what does he do? He turns to God. He turns to God and God gives him a song. The fact that this is a song to be sung in worship should help us to understand the power of music and the power of biblical lyrics. It's been said that music is what feelings sound like. Music is what feelings sound like. So when you're in times of desperation, that's not the time to kick on Pink Floyd. Or Megadeth. Or Nickelback. There's never a good time to listen to Nickelback, but that's another issue. When you hit those times of desperation, those are the time to where we need to listen to the gospel lyrics. It doesn't matter what genre, but to have your soul fed by God-glorifying lyrics. When you're getting ready in the morning, if you're shaving or in the shower... 
Put it on Pandora, let it crank for the glory of God. Because the thing about music is it connects with our hearts. And music can cause us to sing weird stuff. Through the desert on a horse with no name. He doesn't even know the horse's name. Did he steal it? Like what's going on? But because it's got a good hook, it's got a good groove, we sing it. There's a tear in my beard. Really? But we sing it because music has a way of connecting and hooking into our soul. So if you can combine that with biblical truth, what a powerful combination. And I think for some of us, when we hit these difficult times, it very well may be that if we can change the radio station. By the way, not all Christian music is Christian. Not all Christian music is good. Like if you sing, God is awesome, God is awesome, God is awesome. Woohoo. That's, it's like, that's deep, bro. Deep. Let me write that down. Not all of it is, is substantive. Not all of it may even be helpful, but there's some quality stuff out there. But what can happen is when we ha- are emotionally down, like Habakkuk says, God, I'm waiting for the answer. I don't see one. All I see is problems and after problem after problem. I don't see this. What he does is he turns to the Lord. God gives him a song. Turn to the Lord and allow godly people through their music to minister to you. To minister to your soul. Because what can happen sometimes when we put soul poison in an already defeated, depressed soul, it simply sends it further down, further down, further down. And we think that listening to sad, sappy, depressing music helps us know all it does is say, I'm sad, you're sad, it's okay. It does nothing to help and it does everything to continue. Say, well, Jeff, how do we actually respond as Habakkuk responded to God? Here's some truths that you and I need to remember to preach to ourselves when we are in times of desperation. Number one from verse two, to remember and preach to ourselves that God is still working in the world, even if it doesn't seem like he's working in my circles. Notice it says in verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. What he's saying is that, God, I've heard of you doing things in the world, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen for me. Have you ever been to that place? You say, well, I've heard of prayers being answered, but not mine. Every time I pray, it seems like nothing happens at all. And for Habakkuk, what he does, he says, I'm a Jew, I'm I'm here in this time, what I can do is I can look back at what God's already done. And I mean, we could preach all day long about what God had already done to that point. But let's, for us today, think back of what God has done. For some of us, you go back a year or two, we had no, no desire for God at all. We were staying home Sunday mornings, not praying with our kids. The Bible was never read nor mentioned, but God in his mercy woke us up. And we can look back, we thought we were having a good time, doing our own thing. But then one day Jesus used somebody to reach out to us. And we realized that we were wasting our lives. And a heart change happened. And today we look at what he's done. But what can happen is that we easily forget. You read the book of Deuteronomy, God says all sorts of different ways. Remember to not forget. Don't forget what I've brought you from. And don't don't forget that I'm the one who is sustaining you. 
have an incredible book if you want to pick it up. I'd highly recommend it. It's called Spiritual Warfare and Missions, The Battle for God's Glory Among the Nations by Jerry Rankin and Ed Stetzer. We preached on Islam a couple of weeks ago. If you know anything about the history of, of Central Asia, since I'm sure you guys were studying that last night, preparing for church, and it's been a historically Muslim land since the Muslim invasions. And uh, the tomb of Tamerlane, who was a, a Muslim conqueror there, um, they record how missionaries went in in the 90s after the Soviet Union had collapsed. And what had happened is when the Muslims invaded uh, Central Asia, any Christians that were there were forcibly converted or eradicated. So throughout the Soviet Union, the Muslim areas of the Soviet Union had basically no Christian presence at all. 600 years earlier, it was a thriving Christian area, but the Muslims killed or forcibly converted. And this is so cool. Um, they report that once the wall fell and Americans and not just Americans, but Koreans or, or Western Europeans could go bring the gospel. It said while touring the city, they walked up to the tomb of this Muslim conqueror and in a lilting tone said, we're back. <laughs> Amen. I mean, God is at work in the world. We know across the Muslim world that there are reports of people being saved, people having dreams and visions that Jesus is more than a prophet. And then most always God sends someone to explain the gospel to them. We can look at what God is doing in Rocky Mount Baptist Church to where contrary to the trend, men, you're coming with your families. Praise God. Praise God. Because what happens most of the time is the ladies respond to the gospel. The guys are like, bro, right? And they're like, they don't respond. Watch one too many John Wayne movies without realizing when John Wayne had cancer, he called desperately for Billy Graham to come because he was afraid to die. But for so many of you men, God has, God has changed our hearts to realize what true manhood is. But you see, for some of us, we forget what God has done because we look around and we say, God's done that for them. God's done that for her. But I don't think that he could do something in my life. We have to understand that God's second point here from verse two, that God's plan doesn't just involve me. Notice what he says. He says, in the midst of years, revive it. What he's saying, God, is that God, you've existed Longer than we could even imagine. You ever tried to think about eternity? You ever done that when you were a kid? Think about forever and ever and ever. And then you kind of get scared because it's something so foreign to our minds. To think about how the God has always existed. But yet, in the midst of years, what he's saying is that, God, your plan goes far above and beyond me. Your plan started before I became into this world. And it's going to continue after I die. Or if you choose to come back in my lifetime. So something that we have to remember, friends, is that God's plan for your life doesn't just revolve around your life. Because the magnet of our hearts is to focus on ourselves. If you want a demonstration of that, come to Tykes, our preschool. Talk to any elementary uh, school teacher, any kindergarten teacher. Go look in, you probably don't know this, but the, but the kids that are in children's church, they're actually sinners. Some of you are like, not my child. <laughs> Yours is the one when you invite them over, they're like gnawing the finish off of the furniture. Right? He's just tired. Right. Right. 
But the tendency of the human heart is to, is to retract in on itself and say, if I'm not involved in the decision making, if it doesn't directly benefit me, then I'm not happy. Listen, some of the most freeing things about the gospel, and it sounds cliche because we say it in church so much, is that it's not about us. Do we believe that? But here's the cool part, that God's plan does involve us. Because if it's all about us, then it can't get any more creative than us. Right? It can't dream any bigger than us. But if we subject ourselves to God's plan, like he's saying, God, in the middle of the years, in the midst of eternity, right here in my life, I'm just asking that you would revive it. And it's okay to be honest with God. Because he knows the hearts. So we have to remember that that God is still working in the world even when it doesn't seem like it's within our circles. And we have to remember and preach to ourselves that God's plan doesn't just involve me. And when we get beyond that and when we rejoice with those who rejoice and when we mourn and cry with those who mourn and cry, that is the most freeing thing. In fact, if you're struggling with depression this morning, one of the most helpful things that you can do is write a letter of encouragement to someone else. Seriously. Make a phone call, shoot a text for something, even if it's small. I mean, that'd be kind of weird if you got the the name of the person operating the drive-thru stand, but like, thank you so much for giving me that hamburger. You could have spit on it. Thank you, right? You know what? But what we're saying is that every type of way that you can see people interacting with your life, give them praise. And guess what'll happen? Most of depression, it turns in on ourselves. So we think, see that we think that we're the only ones, right? But when you praise and you thank and you encourage other people, they love you for it. And you'll be surrounded by those who want to speak life into you. And we know there in verse number, verse number two, the last part, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. What he, what he's saying here is that God, the way that you deal with people is in kindness, that there is the wrath of God. And that is real. But God always desires to grant repentance. And we even see that when Jonah went and preached against Nineveh. He says, God, even though the sermon is 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Basically 40 days and you fry. Within that, there is the offer of mercy. Not only that, but in verses 3 through 12. Notice in verse 3 he says, God came. This is a place called Timon, and it says in the Holy One from Mount Paran. What he's saying is that we have to remember to preach to ourselves. This is so important that God's sovereignty covers every aspect of our life. That means with God, he can use mistakes. He uses every choice, even the ones that were made in disobedience to him, to point us to him if we respond. You see, Jeff, what do these things mean? If you had been Habakkuk and you would have looked... Uh, to this certain direction to these cities, you would have seen the sun rising over those cities. What he's saying is that just as the sun rises, God is sovereign over every aspect of our life. It's been said that the enemy, Satan, if he cannot schedule your destruction, he'll schedule your distraction. And for some of us, it's the distraction of saying, you know what, God, you've done those things For those people, you've done stuff for people in the Bible because they're in the Bible. Forgetting all the time that many of the heroes that we point to in the Bible walk through horribly depressing experiences. 
There were prophets who even one in particular went into a cave and he basically said, God, I'm ready to die. Can you imagine that? For some of you, you can because you've been to that point. And what the enemy will try to do is he will try to get you to focus in on yourself. But through the power of God, let's remember the difficult truths. And it's kind of like this. If you've ever seen sports, you know, a lot of times your athletes talk to themselves. Have you noticed that? And they talk to themselves, whether it's whether they're about to hike the ball, whether the, the, the defensive back is about ready to hit the quarterback so hard the quarterback's mom feels it. Whether it's that clutch free throw in a basketball game, they're talk, they're reminding themselves, focus. If it's, and with my dad, basketball, I could be getting ready to shoot a shot and then from the bleachers, if it's short, it won't go in. I never had to worry about talking to myself. He did it for me. But when it's something that's clutch, it's amazing. We, we focus and we talk to ourselves with truths that we know, but sometimes in the moment we forget. What's happening here in the Word of God is He's saying, God came, it's just like a sunrise, and the sunrise is here, and that's a, a way of saying that, that it covers the whole world. He's saying that just as the sun rises, God is there as well. And in verse number 4, He talks about lightning and flashing. What He's saying is that God has authority over nature. Have you ever been out in a big lightning storm? Isn't it awesomely terrifying? Or if you've, if you've ever been out on a boat in a storm, you realize how good your prayer life gets really fast. Or if you've been to the beach and you just see the waves. Or for those of you that are a little bit more civilized, you watch all that stuff on the Weather Channel, right? As my parents watch the Weather Channel holding hands, freaked out, you know, inside the house. And if you've ever just noticed the power of nature, what he's saying here is that everything from pestilence, verse 5, and plague, he says those things God has even used to judge nations. He wiped out the Egyptian army. He wiped out the Assyrian army. I mean, the Jews would have been like, that's true. When you see nature, we don't worship nature. But we look at nature and see that God is the one who is powerful behind all of it. In verse 7, he's talking about the enemies of God trembling. In verse number 8, he, he speaks of the timing of God and the chariots of salvation. What he's saying is that, God, you are on the way. You are already here. But the reason why, and please hear this, the reason why you've not brought about the answer or the deliverance to my prayer is because you have a greater plan. And notice how it connects over in verse 13. This is huge. When you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Do you remember in the beginning when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to fall and he talked about the serpent would strike the heel? But, and he's speaking about Jesus, but his heel will crush the head of the serpent. What he's saying is that God is in the process of working out his salvation, that we are in the middle of his plan, and it very well could be, and this is the the next truth, that we have to preach to ourselves that God's deliverance is coming. Do we believe that? Like it's coming. So therefore what? Go with me to verse 16. I hear, this this is awesome, and my body 
trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. What he's saying is that when I think of the greatness of God, I mean, when I think of the greatness of God and the smallness of us, it's kind of like, let's cue the video up here. It's, it's kind of, kind of like this. What we'll see on the screen. Desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken I don't know how you could begin to describe how crazy big the known universe actually is. I mean, look at that. That's earth. It's huge. And here's the issue for us. Earth compared to the known solar system is incredibly small, but it's not insignificant. And what we see from Habakkuk is he's saying, when I think about all of these things, when I think about the salvation that God has worked in history, when I think about the nations that God has destroyed because they've refused to repent, the Babylonians, guess how God dealt with them? The ancient Iraqis, he brought in the Iranians. Yep, the Persians destroyed the Chaldean Babylonian Empire. Rome, which ran roughshod over nations, God used the Germans to destroy. World War II, we look back at that and we say, boy, if I would have been in the early 1940s, I don't see how Germany could have been beaten, but yet God has crushed. And if you've done any detailed look at Germany during that time, he crushed that nation. So today, there's just as many Germans in Germany as in that time. God will bring justice. He will bring judgment. But if you're right taking notes, I want, to, I want you to write this down. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. And there's a word. The, the word Ebenezer, and here's how it goes. Samuel, this is the prophet Samuel, took a stone and set it up between these two places called Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. You know that, that old song that talks about I will raise my Ebenezer and we're all thinking Ebenezer Scrooge? In the Old Testament, this I think this is so cool. 
when God did something amazing, they would set up a stone. And that stone people could look at when they were passing by and remember what God had done. And what he's doing here, what Habakkuk is doing through the Spirit of God, is he's saying, God, I don't know how all these things will be fixed. I don't understand all the ways of your providence, but I know that you've done things in history. And so for some of us, maybe it would be that we need to remember back about things that God has done for us. Some of us, God, God has saved the marriage. Some of you would have not been here if God had not answered your prayer to bring you through that surgery. Some of you would have lost your homes if it was not for God answering that cry. We need to remember what God has done. Remember that old song? It's an old southern gospel song. And it says, I was lost and undone without God or his son when he reached down his hand for me. And sometimes when we go through the times of thinking, God, this is a time of desperation where it doesn't seem like anything's happening we need to remember back because when we think about the greatness of god the vastness of the universe for me sometimes it brings me back to show me how great my ingratitude is and how great my pride is there's a song by john waller called while i'm waiting and it goes while i'm waiting i will serve you while i'm waiting I will worship. While I'm waiting, I will not faint. I'll be running the race even while I wait. And Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 16, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Meaning my trust is in God. And for us, when we encounter those times that seem to suck all of the energy and life out of our soul, let it be that we preach the gospel to ourselves. Friends are great. Family is good, hopefully. But let in our, in the quiet moments, in the drives to work, in, in, in the walks around the neighborhood, for us to inside our heart, to which we would just echo and resound, to preach what we know is true, but we don't really feel is true. And in the glory of God, when Satan tries to tell us that he doesn't care, when Satan tries to tell us that it's not going to work, we say, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel until I'm hoarse. In the inside of my being, and glory be to God, I will not roll, I will not trust on what I feel to be true, because feelings can fail us. But the word of God never does.